morning, great men and women of God. I'm excited about this January here at Pulpit Rock. We um, are talking about a simple command, a simple invitation that Jesus Christ gave called Follow Me. And we're taking some time at the beginning of this year to ask that question. What did he mean when he said, follow me? And what does it mean for us? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you this year? Uh, one of the things we're trying to do is return from a, sometimes a more complicated system of discipleship. Uh, when you talk about discipleship, that is another way of saying, uh, uh, describing the process of following Jesus. But sometimes we make it so complicated. And I love what Pastor Susie says. She says, you know, discipleship, it, it, it's not complicated. It's very simple. It's just not easy. And that's the difference. And so what we're trying to do is kind of pull back and just say, wait a minute, what does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? And we're working with a very simple definition of discipleship. And that is this, a discipleship, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. That's it. And we're working with that together. And I, as we're diving into this today, I was um, thinking about a poem that I had been reading recently, and there was a quote in there by Mary Oliver, who wrote this poem, and she said this, it's the nature of stone to be satisfied, it's the nature of water to want to be somewhere else. We are 60% water. It's our nature to want to be somewhere else. I think it's our nature to want to be someone else. I think it's within our nature to yearn for something more, and we don't always know what that is, but I believe that whether we know it or not, that something we're yearning for is God himself. And this is what's so amazing about Jesus' simple call, follow me. It's an invitation to journey through life with Jesus to live like he lives, to serve like he serves, to, to give like he gives, to love like he loves. Follow me, he says, and I will show you how. Now, as we saw last week, follow me is not a command to adopt a doctrinal manifesto. It's not a, a command to align with a certain set of religious rules. It is an invitation to choose a direction. If you remember, what we're trying to do is shift from one model to another. This, the, these dots are people. I know you can't tell that, but these are people, okay? And what happens is this is a, what we call a bounded set, and this is what we call a centered set. A bounded set is where we draw some boundaries. These boundaries might be around certain beliefs. They might be around certain practices. They might be about things we're supposed to do. They might be about things we're not supposed to do. But we create these boundaries, and then we say, if you are inside these boundaries, you're one of us. If you're not, you're on the outside. And we apply that to discipleship. We say, well, if you're inside these boundaries, you're following Jesus, but if you're outside, you're not. And the question that this kind of thinking is always asking is this, are you in or are you out? But Jesus shows up and stops talking about boundary sets and starts talking about something else, a direction. And in this kind of model over here, you have Christ. This is a centered set. It is a set that's not defined by the boundaries. It's defined by the center. What's at the center? In this one, it's Christ. And you still have all these same people, but you'll notice that some of these people are moving towards Christ, and some of them are moving away. Some of them are different distances. Some are closer. Some are further. And this question that these people are asking in Jesus's model is, are you following me or not? This one is, are you in the circle or not? Are you in the club or not? This one is, are you following me or not? Now, Jesus was very shocking to religious insiders who were inside the circle because he was constantly blowing this up. 
How many times does Jesus say something like, you know, this person over here is closer to the kingdom than you are? Like, for example, we talked last week about tax collectors who in Jesus' day were people that were thieves and treasonous traitors to their people. And Jesus would sometimes say things like, you know, that tax collector is closer to the kingdom than you are. And they would get so upset. How could that be? Look, he's out here. He's out here with all the horrible people, Eagles fans, Raiders fans. The, we're inside. We're, we're good. And you're saying he, there's no way he's closer. And that's because Jesus is saying, I'm not thinking like this. I'm thinking like this. This tax collector is closer to me than you are because the direction of his life is towards me. In fact, you might be inside the circle, but you're actually moving away from me. And that blew people's minds. It still blows people's minds today. Jesus shocks us when we begin to get into his word and discover that he is much more welcoming than we are. And we begin to understand that what we really like is we want people's journey to look like ours. I know that there are certain things that work for me. There are certain ways that my path looks, and I kind of have this circle, and I think, well, everyone else should have this same journey. And then I had kids. And when your kids are young, I'm just going to tell you, you think, okay, I will train up a child in the way they shall go, and, and I'll, I'll teach them my path, and they'll want to follow it. And how does that work out, people with older kids? No. They go their own path. And so you begin to go, well, maybe, maybe it's not about the circle that I've described, but maybe it is about, are my kids moving in this direction? That's, that becomes a shift for us. We want people's journey to look like ours, and Jesus simply says, follow me. So last week, that was last, last week we just talked about is the direction of your life towards Christ. <clears throat> but what I want us to see today is that following Christ is about more than a direction, it's also about a progression. Now, let me illustrate that for a second. <clears throat> I'm going to walk down here and I'm going to ask my wife, Jessica, to follow me. Will you follow me? Okay. Okay, follow me. No, follow me. You're not going anywhere. Ah. What, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why is she having a trouble following me? I'm not moving, am I? Okay. So let me try this. Now I'm moving and I say follow me. Okay. Okay. Tell me I'm right. You're right. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just see if that would work. And now she walked. See, some people walk away from the faith. Okay, but you saw the thing. Okay, so, so come back in. Okay, thanks. You're doing a good job. Okay, so she couldn't, when I'm not going anywhere, so when I say follow me, it's implied that I'm what? I'm going somewhere. If I'm not moving or she's not moving, there's not following happening. Okay, now watch this. So I'm going to continue to follow me, but Jeff, I would like for you to follow me also. Will you rise up, take up your mat, and follow me? Okay, now notice something. Stop for a second. Notice something. Jeff is coming from a completely different situation. First of all, we're not married. That's one big situation. But second of all, he's coming from way over there. He's having to walk a further distance. He's coming from a different angle. Think back to our chart. His journey of following me is going to look different than hers. This is why a one-size-fits-all discipleship model never fits all. It doesn't work because we're all coming from different ways and places. Thanks, guys. You did a good job. You could give them some applause. <clears throat> I thought the whole day about using that joke. I was so excited. When you, uh, you, uh, so here are two thoughts. When Jesus called people to follow him, it implied he was going what? Somewhere. It's hard to follow someone who isn't going somewhere. It's hard to follow someone if we're not moving. 
following Jesus is about moving. So last uh, December, Senator John McCain uh, had a Twitter account, and he discovered that he was 74 followers away from having 3 million followers on Twitter. And that would be a record for a U.S. senator. So he or someone on his staff put out a tweet, and they said, hey, we're 74 followers away. We just need 74 more of you to follow us. Thousands of people promptly unfollowed him. Now, what was happening? Well, they discovered that many people who were following him weren't necessarily progressing towards him. They weren't necessarily agreeing with him. Some of those people might be journalists who were just following him to make sure they had the right quotes, or maybe it was the opposition party who wanted to make sure they were tracking what he said. But the reality is a lot of people were following him, but they weren't really progressing towards him. For us to follow Jesus, it's more than a direction, it's a progression. But the other thought I want you to see is, is that for us to, uh, for this journey is going to look different for different people. Again, all these arrows are pointing towards Jesus, but boy, this person is coming from a completely different background, culture, situation than this one. And so they might be still moving towards Christ, but it's going to look different. Our journeys are going to look different. Here's the thing. Spiritual growth is not linear, and it's not predictable. You can't just say, well, here's what spiritual growth looks like. I do this and this and this and this. We also can't predict, hey, if, if I tell you that if you follow this program and these steps that you will move this way, it's not like that. It's a complex process as unique as each individual. And it progresses at a pace determined by each person's circumstances and the activity of the Holy Spirit. However, even though spiritual growth, discipleship, may be complex in some ways, there's a very clear simplicity. That's what Susie was talking about. The simplicity is in its progression. That is one thing that hopefully everyone here who says, I'd like to follow Jesus, even though we're going to look different in all the ways that we do that, one thing all of us would say is, I'd like to follow him more closely. I'd like to move towards him. Now, this principle is captured in a verse I want to share with you that really drives our discipleship here at Pulpit Rock. It's Colossians 1, 28. And I'd like you to read this with me. That we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul is writing a letter and he's saying we are striving, we are working, we are doing all the things we can as leaders and, and fellow Christians that all, this is our goal. Our goal is not spiritual maturity. In fact, at Pulp Rock, I would say we don't care about spiritual maturity. We don't care about that at all. What we care about is if we're presenting people mature in Christ. In other words, it's not about the fact that I'm growing more in some things like this. It, it is about the fact that I am moving more and more towards Christ. That is the focus. It's not conformity, it's Christformity. And our journey is to help people move hearts directed towards Christ and make progress and movement progression. So here's a question. We kind of asked a version of this last week. I'm going to ask it again today. This is the question that we're wanting to try to guide 2018, and it's this. How will I move closer in my following of Jesus this year? And I hope I showed you this. If the answer to that is, well, I just assume it will happen, that might not be the best answer. As we saw earlier, Jessica actually had to move where I was going. There was an intentionality and in progress. Now, what does that begin to look like? Well, in just a moment, I want to give you some ideas that might be helpful for you on how you could move closer to Christ this year. I want to share some stuff with you. But before that, I just want to pause. I want to have a moment of reflection with you. I want to give you an opportunity to really hear this call of Christ 
who is saying to you this morning, I'm not calling you to this, I'm calling you to me. I'm calling you to have me be the center of what you're doing in 2018. And for you to hear that call, I've just asked Roland to sing a prayer over us. And as he does, I encourage you to think about these words and, and think about this question as you're talking with Christ. How will I move closer to you this year, Jesus? Let's take a moment and consider our centering. Lord Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. You're the center of the universe. Everything was made in you. Jesus, breath of every living thing. Everyone was made. it kind of captures a little bit of what we're talking about. When you, uh, we want Christ to be the center of our lives. That's what we're saying. That's what it means. Colossians 1.28, we want to be mature in Christ. But if Christ is always moving, it's not an arrival destination. It's not like, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm here. He's, he's the center of my life. If he's always moving, then we're always having to fix our eyes. We're always having to think about direction. But we're also wanting him to be the center of our lives, which means if he's moving, I've got to move. There's a progression for him to be the center. Direction and progression. These are two of the elements we're looking at to be following Christ. So the question I wanted to, to kind of share with you a little bit this thought today is this. What are the catalysts that help us do that? What, what, are, what are some of the, the, a catalyst is another way of saying things that make things happen. What are the things that will help us move forward, progress towards being close to Christ? And what I thought I would do this morning is this. I don't want to share with you what I think they are. I want to share with you what you think they are. And what I mean by that is uh, there was a church a couple of years ago named Willow Creek. It's a small little church in Chicago. It's probably not going to make it. But uh, they, they did this study. They did a massive study 
where they surveyed over 80,000 people from 200 different kinds of uh, 200 different congregations, all kinds of different ones, and they asked this question: What have you found most helpful in your following of Christ? What are the things that you're, you've done or been a part of that have helped you? And what I'd like to share with you is some of their results. So this is, this is kind of what, what everyday followers of Jesus have said. You know, this is what we heard would help us follow Christ. But honestly, these are the things that really helped us follow Christ. Now, I'm going to share a number of different things with you. Here's the wrong thing to do. Write them all down and say, okay, that's my list for the year. No, 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 no. I, I really would like you to center on that question of, Jesus, what does it look like for me to get closer to you this year? And my hope is, at the end of sharing some of these, there would be one thing that you think, you know, I think Jesus is saying, this is my one next step. So I want to share some of those with you and share some connection points to that. That's what we're going to do. So the first thing that is, they realized that all of their answers came back in four basic catalyst categories. Here's the first one. Spiritual beliefs and attitudes. The people said, the, the things that I believe are true really affected my growth. Now, this was less about facts and data and more about allowing those beliefs and attitudes about Christ to drive how you lived. So here's what they said. What they found was when it comes to spiritual belief and attitudes, what really made change happen was increasing the intensity of your agreement with these things. Let me say that again. What really drove growth when it comes to spiritual beliefs and attitudes was increasing the intensity of your beliefs. So, for example, this was not learning more things, and it wasn't just saying, yeah, I got a set of spiritual beliefs, or I got a statement of faith, and yeah, I agree with that. What it was was saying, what are the things I really believe that are driving my life? And they layered into that. So, for example, there's a belief. Here's a belief. I believe that God is personally involved in my life. Now, think about that for a minute. You might believe that. Is that belief something that you would check? Yeah, sure, I believe God's personally involved in my life. Or is that a belief that's moving you? I believe that God is personally involved in my life, and that's going to affect the way that I parent. It's going to affect the way that I am going to drive today. It's going to affect the way that I'm going to worry about this thing. Do you see that? So it was really layering in and saying, I'm going to grab a hold of this belief in a way that it changes how I am. What are your core beliefs? If you pulled out a piece of paper and, and said, hey, here, I'm going to write down the, the five or ten things that are most important to me. And then if you drew another page and said, but what are the ones that are really driving how I'm living? I may believe that, but it doesn't really affect me. At Pulp Rock a few years ago, we landed on seven spiritual beliefs that we felt were the most helpful in helping people move towards Christ. Let me just give you a quick overview of what that looks like. So we kind of came up with this idea that there are these seven different beliefs, and at the very center is the gospel. The gospel is this statement that says this, I believe that in Christ I am accepted. And as I did that study up at Willow Creek, they discovered that, that many, for, for most new believers, this was the number one most powerful belief, and it was that there's nothing I can do to earn God's love. There's nothing I can do to get his favor. I have, I, through faith in Christ and what he's done for me, I am accepted by God. So that's a, a powerful belief, and that begins to drive us. Now, that belief is going to lead us in how we love God and how we love people. If we don't have that belief, it's going to be difficult for us to really grow in loving God and loving people. We talk about this word identity. This word identity is a belief that what God says about me is more important than any other voice. 
Now, again, that might be something you would check off a box, but the real question is, do you really believe that what God says about you is more important than what you're saying to yourself, more important than what your mom is saying to you, more important than what our culture is saying to you? You really believe that? Is it driving your life? We look at this idea of sustaining. That's an important thing for us, that, that, that I believe that I'm going to reproduce not what I do or what I say, but who I really am. So learning to live in healthy and reproducible and sustainable ways, that's what's going to get passed on. Or this other idea about loving God, which is to listen, which is I believe I can hear and respond to the voice of God. Think about that again for a second. You might say, well, sure, I believe that God talks to us today. Yeah, that's great. Does God talk to you today? And how is it driving your life? Are you increasing your belief there? As you look below the line, you realize that loving God propels us towards loving other people. We look at a, a thing like community. This is where I would say, I believe that we are better together. That if I isolate myself, I'm going to miss out on, on, on growth. And so I'm going to surround myself with a spiritual community. But it's not just surrounding myself with people like me. I might look at this word neighbor and I think about people maybe that would be outside my normal circle. And I would say, I believe that loving, there's nothing deeper than loving other people. We start asking the question, who is my neighbor? And we drive into that, and that begins to really change. And then there's this thought, partner. This is where I'm partnering with God. And this is where I come to believe that I will truly find my life if I give it away. So I start asking the question, where is God at work, and how can I join him? How can I give my life away? These are some of the spiritual beliefs and, and attitudes that, that we think at Pulpit Rock really propel growth. But again, the key is not to check off the boxes and say, oh, I agree, I agree, I agree. The key is, how are you increasing the intensity of your agreement with these beliefs? How could you do that this year? What does it look like? One thing that we're trying to do, we're, we're trying to experiment starting Wednesday night. We're going to begin this thing called Second Table. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a cue from Jesus Christ who seemed to really like teaching around food, and we're going to have eight meals kind of covering these kinds of topics. And what we'll do each week is we'll have a group of us sit around, we'll eat some good food, and we'll dive into the word sustain. And we'll ask not just if we agree with it, but what does it look like for us to be people who are living in sustainable ways. We're going to drive towards how Christ is doing that. That starts Wednesday. It's not too late. If you want to get involved with that, you can write second table on a connection card and give it to us. We'd love to have you part of that. But if that's not your bag, just maybe ask the question, what are some of your core beliefs, and how can you really find ones that you can increase the intensity of your agreement with? Here's a second one. They found that organized church activities help. Now, I promise you, this is what they said. I'm not trying to trick you into some kind of deal here. They said, you know, when there were things that our churches did that when we got engaged in them, they helped us grow. Now, that would make sense to me because I would imagine that the goal of the church is to help people journey with God. And so that would make sense to me. Now, that wasn't interesting. But here's what was interesting, what people said. You can think of all the different things that churches do. Now, for example, young believers said what really helped us grow were worship services. You know, get a chance to come, be with other people, sing, uh, do some different things, uh, get messages, learn. That was really helpful. But as people got older, they said we still love those services, but that doesn't drive our growth. Getting involved in small groups began to. But here's, here's what people discovered. They discovered that serving was the most accelerant in this, in this whole thing. Serving inside the church at first, but then really ultimately beginning to find ways to partner with the church to serve outside, that accelerated growth. 
Jesus told us this. He said, I want you to love your neighbor, meet their needs. And then he said, you go and do the same. There's something about serving other people. It takes us outside of our comfort. It requires risk. It requires us to confront our own biases and prejudices. And it confronts us with our empathy in a way that sitting around does not. It might, let me throw this out. If you've been at Pulp Rock for a while and maybe you've been coming to our worship service and you kind of feel like you're maybe getting a little stagnant, it might be because this isn't your main fueling station anymore. Maybe you need to step into some relationships or into serving in some ways. We have different opportunities we create to serve, and we're never trying to fill some needs. I had somebody come up after the service. He's like, all right, what do you guys need at the church? I was like, no, we don't. it's not about what we need. It's about offering opportunities. Like we, we would, would love to have some of you join us in preparing communion once a month. There's a spiritual discipline there. Or some, some of you might need to step into a, a ninth grade class with some boys and say, hey, I'm going to love on you this year. That will gr- accelerate your growth, I promise you. But it might mean that you go beyond this. It's not just serving here. Again, what people said is when I really got with the church and we started serving people in need outside the church, that's when growth happened. We have a number of different things that this is a very important thing to us. This is one of them. It's the the love your neighbor deal. This is where some guys in our church get together and they go find needs. Like they're uh, widows in our city, people who have some needs. They they built a deck. They built a a wheelchair ramp. They've done different things. And for some of you, you're like, man, that could be a great way for me to grow and use some skills or Care Portal. This is a, a thing that we've partnered with some other churches in the Department of Human Services. And the Department of Human Services says this. They said, hey, we have all these foster families, all these needs. Like, this foster family needs toilet paper. This one needs groceries. This foster family needs a dress for this girl to go to prom. We don't know what to do. Would churches want to be involved? And we said yes. In the last three months, this church alone has responded to over 75 of these requests. This is over $9,000 worth of aid and, and ideas, but just getting involved outside. When we extend the heart and hands of Christ, we grow. Serving, that was one. Well, here's a third option now. Here's a, a third catalyst they found. They use the category personal spiritual practices. This is not being in church. This is the stuff that you and I would pursue on our own. Often people will leave a church and they'll say, well, I just wasn't being fed. Often what they really mean is, I hadn't learned how to feed myself. Spiritual practices are things that we're doing. We're saying, I'm going to take some responsibility and begin to feed myself. So they came up with some different things. And and here are some of the top things that people said really were spiritual practices that helped them grow. Praying to seek God's guidance. God, what do you want me to do today? Where should I go? How do I do this? How will I decide this? Praying to confess sin. That's interesting. We haven't talked about that a lot at Pulper Rock, but that's right up there. Solitude, giving financially. Now, here's what's interesting about this is as people looked at this, they said it wasn't just that we did that, but the key thing that helped us grow was when we increased the frequency of what we were doing. So, for example, someone who said, you know, um, once a week on Sundays at church, I would pray, all right, Lord, this week I pray you'd guide me in everything that I'm doing. That was helpful. But when they said, I'm going to start praying daily that God will guide me in what I do, they said, that's when I began to see the growth. So this has something connected to frequency. Now, what I really found most interesting was there was one practice that was across the board the most powerful. 
Now, in this study, what they did is they broke it up and they said, hey, what was most helpful when you were starting your journey with Christ? What was more helpful when you were kind of in this uh, growing phase? What was more helpful when you really felt like you're beginning to, to grow here? And across the board, these were all different wings, but there was one practice that was top among all three categories. In fact, it was so high up that it was twice as powerful as the next thing on each list. I'm going to tell you to you next Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Well, here's what it is. Reflecting on Scripture. Now, this wasn't Bible study. This wasn't just reading your Bible. But this was spending some time looking at Scripture with this view towards, God, what are you saying to me through this? What are you asking me to do? What are you trying to teach me? How will I integrate this in my life? Where are you leading me towards this? And it was a really a sitting and reflecting and hearing on God's Word. Isn't that crazy. People said, it doesn't matter if I was a first-year Christian or I'd been one for 40 years, this was the most powerful one. This makes sense to me, though, because over the last 10 years, I've been practicing trying to do this uh, in a model that we call SOAP. This is where we would get together with some people and we would read Scripture. And it wasn't a Bible study, but we would read some Scripture. We would begin to observe what we think God is telling us. We would begin to ask God how we're supposed to apply it to our life. And then we would pray for that day that God would help us live that out. And I've seen some. This has been very helpful for me. In fact, we're going to launch a men's soap group in the first Thursday in February at Third Space Coffee. Love to have you join us. But whatever practice it looks like, I, I just I throw that category out to you to say this. Uh, we often heard it takes how many days to start a habit? 30 days. I've heard that. What if over the next 30 days there was some spiritual practice that you said, hey, I'm going to increase the frequency of this, and I'm going to see if this is a place where Jesus wants me to follow him this year. Let me give you one last category. This is really interesting. Spiritual activities with others. These would be activities that you would do outside the church, not connected with any kind of church. If you remember, uh, uh, Roland was saying a minute ago that church on Sunday is not a destination. I agree with that. I like to think that our Sunday services here, our Sunday programs and everything, this is just halftime. The real game, you've been living the last week. And the real game, you're about to live again this next week. This is just halftime chance for some coaching, a chance for some rest, a chance to kind of heal a little bit, a chance to get some new direction, make some adjustments. That's what this is. So for many people surveyed, what this looked like, what were the spiritual activities? For many people, it looked like serving again, but this was serving apart from the church. It was volunteering in a school mentor program or joining a city task force on the homeless. Uh, my wife, uh, it was a part of our kids' uh, middle school. They'd never had a PTA before, and she kind of launched that. She's been the first PTA president for that. And that is something that's not connected with any church, but it is a powerful serving tool for helping her grow. But I want to tell with you that the two most powerful things, if people said these were the top two spiritual activities we did with other people that accelerated our growth, here they are. The first one, spiritual friendships. This is where people say, I meet with or talk to a close friend who helps me, helps me grow spiritually. What they're saying is it wasn't just being in a room with a bunch of other people, but it was having some conversations where I'm like, hey, you're following and I'm following. Let's, let's talk about that. We see this in Jesus' call to the disciples. Remember, when he said, follow me, he, he said it to this guy, and then he said to this guy and this guy. And what he was saying was, I don't want you just to follow me. I want you to follow me together. It was a messy community he was inviting them into. Christ wanted the disciples to experience him through 
him, but also through each other. There's something that Peter brought to the table that Matthew needed. There were questions that Thomas was asking that John was like, yes, thank you. I've been waiting for someone to ask that. There were things that Andrew and, and James experienced that needed from each other. Believe it or not, I think that there, there was something all 11 guys needed from Judas. God said it's going to be messy. We're going to pull you in. Jessica and I realized this last year um, that most of our friends had younger kids. And we were dealing with adult kids. They were 18 and 17. And, and a lot of our friends had younger kids. And so uh, we were really struggling with decisions on how to parent them and, and how to release them and how to not kill them and all these kind of struggles that parents have. And we didn't have anyone to talk to. And so we were saying, we need some spiritual friendships. Who could this be? And we began to ask and pray and had a couple conversations that were so powerful. And I feel like, oh my goodness, I, it was so refreshing just having somebody who was a little bit ahead of us to say, look, calm down, you know, you'll live. <laughs> Maybe this year you determine you're going to increase some of these relationships. Where would you find these people? They might already be around you. One of the reasons why I love small groups at Pulper Rock is I think, hey, you jump in and there's going to be some spiritual friendships that come out of that. But here's the number one spiritual activity. The number one thing that people said that helped them accelerate their growth in Christ was this. Conversations with non-Christians. People who said, I had six or more meaningful spiritual conversations with non-Christians in the last year. That was the number one most powerful thing in this category. Crossing the road, crossing the cubicle, crossing the street to engage with people out of your comfort zone drove growth. I can speak to that for my own last few years as well. The times that I have sat at a table across from somebody who normally might be outside my circle. Maybe they're outside theologically or what they believe or how they live. Or, or, or maybe they'd be outside my circle of skin color. Or they'd be outside my circle of, of nationality. But as I've had these conversations, it's challenged me. I was having a conversation at a party with a guy and he was an atheist. And we, was talk, we were talking about parenting. And I was kind of talking about how, you know, when my kids were young, when they were born, I had 50,000 dreams and plans and hopes for them. And now that they're older, I just have one plan and dream for them, and that is that they love God and love other people. And he said, why? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I that was a, such an odd question. If I said that to you, hey, I want my kids to love God and love other people, you go, mm, yeah, brother, that's a good one. All yeah, right. Like, it's inside my circle. We'd all say that. But it was such an out of left field question. And I thought about it and I thought, that's a great question. Why? That forced me to grow, forced me to think about his perspective, forced me to think about why am I saying I just rolls off my tongue and you guys would all say, great. But he was really challenged by it or challenged me by it. And these conversations requires risk and learning. One of you, uh, friend, my friend Charlie, sent me this quotation this week. I thought it was really appropriate. I appreciate it, Charlie. He's quoting an author. He said, the author said, the problem with the traditional spiritual disciplines, listen, they can all be done in isolation, both privately and within groups, and simply reinforce what we want to believe, stay in the circle. The problem with the spiritual life being exercised in isolation is it allows people to grow without the perspective of others. Surrounding ourselves with people who think, act, look, and even smell like us usually leads towards a distorted growth pattern or nor growth at all. 
we may ultimately experience a small fraction of what God wants for our lives, even with erroneous views going unchallenged. But then he closed with this. But ultimately, our growth becomes biased, unbalanced, and stunted. This is why the discipline of road crossing is so critical to add to our list of spiritual disciplines. Have you ever considered that stepping out and having a conversation with somebody outside your circle could be a spiritual discipline? But it does make sense. After all, it was one of the major ways Christ loved people. This is why last year we handed these out. Do you remember these? Uh, this was a simple little magnet, a little idea that you would say, hey, this is your house. Who are the three, who are the eight people that live around you? Do you know their names? And the simple task was to write their names down. And the premise was the most spiritual thing you may do in 2017 is to learn the name of your neighbor because that's where conversations begin. I'll throw it out to you. The most spiritual thing you may do in 2018, learn the name of your neighbor. Begin to pray for them. Look for opportunities for spiritual conversations. Um, I know that could be daunting. During Lent, we're going to do a series on spiritual conversations and talk a little bit about what that looks like. But what would it look like for you to take that step? Now, let me wrap up with this. I've just dumped a lot of information on you. And again, the worst thing you could do is say, okay, Thomas, I'm going to try to do all that this week. No, please do not do that. Uh, what I would encourage you to do is to go back to this question with Jesus. Jesus, how will I move closer to my following of you this year? And think about some of the ideas we've talked about, or maybe just think about these categories. For example, spiritual beliefs and attitudes. Do you know what yours are? More importantly, do you know what they really are? Organized church activities. Maybe there's something you step into with Pulpit Rock this year. We'd love for you to serve or we'd find ways to help you plug in. Maybe it is something like a personal spiritual practice that you say, I want to I engage in this over the next 30 days. I want to build some discipline, some practice. I want to try something and see if it helps me get closer to Christ. Or spiritual activities with others. Where could you step out and serve outside of Pulpit Rock? Where could you connect in this city? Who are some people that you may need to take a next step in and say, I'd like to have coffee with you and let's talk about where I'm going, where you're going. Here's one thing that's true as I close. At Pulpit Rock, we exist to help people journey with God. We want to help you. We don't want to boss you. We don't want to parent you. We want to coach you. That's when we talk about things like membership. Again, we're not calling you to just sign something and be in here. But every year we say together, hey, we're going to follow Jesus. You want to follow him with us? Let's do it together. We'd love for you to join us and be part of that this year. Follow me is about a direction, but it's also about a progression. How will you move closer to your following of Jesus this year? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you broke out of circles and walls and boundaries and you called people from all walks of life to follow you. Thank you that to each person in this room, you give the same call. Follow me. Thank you that our individual journeys are going to look different from each other's and that's okay. Will you speak to us? Will you confirm what does it look like for you to be the center? What does it look like for me to follow you today? Where are you asking me to take a next step, Jesus? I pray that you would guide us in that question. In Christ's name, amen. Stand together.